Oh, well done. Yes, Rose's done it before. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> yes, so as I was just saying, it's um, down to Pippa that uh, she really prompted me to think seriously about some input that we can have into each other's lives. Um, I think I came into this realization a bit belatedly, as I say, because um, possibly I'm not um, a typical elder's wife in the sense that I think I'm right in saying that most of you married men who you had no idea were likely to go into the ministry, <laughs> or else if, you, if they were going into the ministry, you sort of, um, well, well you, just, you just married a man who was in an ordinary job, and then at some point after that found that he was going to be working full-time in the church and uh, then you felt rather vulnerable now I came at it from rather a different aspect in that I knew before I ever met Terry I had a sense of call from God and went to Bible College met Terry there and so in a sense my calling was separate from Terry's and uh, when I married him I realized that my call really was to merge into his and uh, so I had always <coughs> in my marriage had in view that um, I was called to, to be a leader's wife so I didn't have to come at it in a fresh so to speak from um, a completely different walk of life and uh, so I haven't perhaps appreciated the sort of pressures that um, many of you have had to deal with that I haven't had to, which is why I'm very grateful to have <coughs> friends around me today who are going to contribute to the conversation, who are much more typical of, of most of us in this room. Um, I suppose as time has gone by, I have come to understand that my, my calling and Terry's were very much intertwined but also as uh, recently particularly I suppose in the last two or three years um, God has be begun to open out my own ministry in a way and that's given me a different um, sort of identity crisis in a <coughs> sense and I think one of the things that we really need to talk about this morning is the identity of a leader's wife of an elder's wife and I think this is one of the first things that we really need to lay down what is my identity and I hope that during the things that are said this morning um, some useful things will emerge I think one of the things that Pippa pointed out to me in some literature that she sent me and things that I've um, been observing in other leaders wives lives is the sense does is elders wife a title <laughs> Do I now have to change? Do I have a different role all of a sudden? Um, and uh, I think we must always base everything on the Word of God. And the problem is, or maybe the liberating fact is, that there is no such role in the Bible as an elder's wife. Now sometimes we think, well, that makes it very difficult then. I'm, I'm non-existent, and yet I'm ex here I am. <laughs> uh, but actually, that should free us. There is no such role as an elder's wife, 
but there are plenty of wives. You have to be a biblical wife, not an elder's wife. So whatever it says in the scriptures about a wife, that applies to you. You have not got to be some category um, because that is not scriptural. That means that whatever is said in the word about giving husbands love, respect, obedience, and so forth, that applies to us as much as any other wife. So what we are called to be, in fact, is exemplary wives. <laughs> EWs in a different way, not elders' wife, exemplary wife. And our identity must be founded on God's assessment of us. And I think so often we find we fall into the trap of building our identity on other people's expectation of us. And uh, w our husbands have hands laid upon them, they become elders, and quite often the elder's wife, and rightly so, has hands laid upon her at the same time. And they are seen as a couple, they're seen as a, seen as a team. And then you begin to find in the days that follow that people don't seem to treat you the same anymore. And this really throws you, because you know you haven't changed. You're the same person you were before the day when your husband was set apart. And in the intervening couple of weeks or whatever, you haven't suddenly sprouted wings or something. And yet people seem to treat you as if now you have infallibility, <laughs> or you have an answer to every problem, or if they, they need to be prayed for, then you're the one to do it. And you feel totally at sea because you've had no particular training in, in, in this. You don't know how to approach it. And then what can happen is that guilt can set in because you feel you ought to. Because you are your husband's wife, somehow that makes you feel that you ought to be able to do these things, to live up to people's expectation of you. Well, I think we need to establish here and now what God's expectation and assessment of us is. And that is, A, we are our husband's wife, we are the same girl he married, and he married us because he liked us, he liked our personality, he didn't marry somebody else, he married you. You keep on being you. But having said that, we, we need to see that God is also developing us but he's developing you as an individual person. He's not developing you because you are an elder's wife. He's developing you because you are a Christian whom he has called to bear fruit. Now, the way you bear fruit is an individual matter between you and God. You don't bear fruit because you are an elder's wife. You bear fruit because you are part of the vine, and the vine life flows through you. Now, depending on what sort of tree you are, depend, uh, that, that is the sort of fruit that you will produce. Now, that doesn't necessarily follow that because you, your husband is an elder, that the fruit that you will produce will be uh, the type of fruit, say, of standing up publicly and teaching, or organizing women's meetings, <coughs> or being particularly hospitable. Now, it may well include those elements, but you may be particularly gifted in one sphere or the other. And we need to find out where our own gifting is and go for that, rather than feel, oh, they expect me to be so-and-so, I will try and fit into that mould. 
that can become an intolerable pressure because then we feel that uh, um, it's something imposed upon us and it's not coming from within. So, first of all, we must receive our orders from God, not from anybody else. And uh, it's him that we are to please. So, we also must find our security there. And if people come and ask us to do things that we know we can't handle, we've got to say so. And uh, if somebody says, well, go and see your elder's wife. And you say, well, if they come to say you, you say, well, I'll... I'll pray with you about this, but I don't have the answers. Let's be honest. There's nothing worse than going to somebody and they're faffing around. <laughs> and they don't give you much security if you really haven't got the answer. So um, say, well, yes, I'll pray with you about that, but I don't have the answer. I suggest you go to so-and-so. And it may be somebody who isn't an elder's wife. Or go and see the elder, your care group leader, um, talk about it with others. Um, who are more equipped. I'm so grateful that we have, for example, in this church, um, Jenny Trust, who is a trained psychologist, but also a very godly uh, woman able to counsel. She is very good at one-to-one. She is training up people who are very good at that, like Rosie here, and others excellent at one-to-one counseling. Um, Now, that often comes into my sphere, but I, I know that I haven't got that sort of insight that, say, Rosie's got. And um, I'm, I'm, I feel released that um, I can say that. I do n- I'm not quick at discerning things. It's just not my forte. But Rosie can sniff things out at a hundred paces. <laughs> well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> but that's releasing, you see, to me. I don't feel, I've got to have the answer. I say, thank goodness, Rosie's more likely to have the answer. But she knows too that if she doesn't, that there are others that she can turn to. So um, we, let's be honest. If We mustn't, because we are elders' wives, feel that we have got to try and squeeze out an answer if we haven't got it. Um, we are not infallible and we've got to try and train the people to see that we are on exactly the same level as them. We are not an an exalted sort of separate echelon. Uh, We are on the same level. We are wives and mothers and uh, with the same problems and needs, but we are Christians and God wants all his people to be reaching out for more. But the motivation is, this is the main thing, our motivation in reaching out for more is not because of position. It's because we are God's children and he wants us to be reaching out for more because he's, he has chosen us to bear fruit. That's our motivation, to be fruit bearers. Um, so, now I, I know that in the past, in old, uh, more traditional settings, Um, the pastor's wife was expected to run women's meetings and to run this and to run that. And um, unfortunately, even though we are not, perhaps we don't have churches in the same mould, sometimes the idea still persists that the pastor's wife or the elder's wife must be running these things. But again, I think it is so good to acknowledge if that is not your forte. And I was very blessed when I was chatting this over with with Liz Wilfie one day, who's hoping to get here soon. 
um, she said to me that when she and John went to their first church, she was approached by several ladies in the congregation and said, well, you will, of course, take over the women's meeting now, won't you, and run it? And I thought she made a very wise um, answer to them. She said, well, I will fit in where my gifting makes room for me, but that isn't my gifting. And uh, she said, I know that there is somebody here whose who gifting that is. And she was absolutely right, because there was a lady who'd been running it for years, and it would have wrenched something out of her grasp that was uh, dear to her heart. Liz would have done it not very efficiently, because she would have felt very diffident about the whole thing. Um, so you would have had two unhappy people and a declining meeting on your hands. Whereas Liz's answer meant the lady was able to continue doing the things she was best at doing, Liz was able to happily settle in to where she was comfortable, which was running a toddler's group. And uh, so, so the machinery continued quite happily without any undue jolting. <laughs> so again, we mustn't just accede to people's wishes because it's the dumb thing. And uh, although we aren't supposedly in traditional churches, so often there still seems to persist an idea of the done thing. Um, actually, Sue, if I don't mind me picking on you for a minute, I seem to remember a time when, when you said, look, I'm just dropping everything. I'm, I'm going to be Ray's wife, and that's what I'm going to do from now on. Mm. For a while you said that, didn't you? Yes. And the church didn't collapse, did it? And, <laughs> and you, you felt much happier um, leaving that to others who were yes, more... Yes, it was in the interim change when Ray had started working with Terry more and was travelling around more and I was getting a bit involved what he was doing and involved with what the church was doing and just sort of doing a lot of everything and not really doing anything very well. Yes. So I opted out of everything and thought, well, I'll just stop the lot for a year and then start picking things up again as to the way I felt was the best thing to do. So Sue had the courage to to take quite a drastic step, really. Um, but in the event, it proved to be releasing for her and others. I should have moved the tape over to you. Have a, a gap on the tape now. Never mind. Um, I don't want to take away from your time, Margaret. So, um, yes, purpose and function. What do I do, then, as an elder's wife? It rests not on position, but on gifting. Also, it has quite a lot to do with what phase of life you happen to be in at the moment as well, doesn't it? And um, if you're um, a mother with X number of young children under the age of five, you're not really going to be called to an itinerant ministry or something, are you? <laughs> That's a ridiculous example. But your work is pretty well defined for you at the moment. and. Uh, so you have not got to feel guilty about putting your husband and family first. In fact, before God, that is what you should be doing. And within that sphere, you will find, of course, that there are many opportunities to bless many of the women in the church in various ways and to be part of what the women are doing in the church. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you will have the running of things of course, if you are particularly gifted in organising or teaching, that will come forward. And uh, I, f I feel that as when we make ourselves available to serve in the body, God usually narrows it down to what our particular um, gifting is. Um, 
I remember Terry saying when he was first saved, he um, joined in everything there was going. But he just threw himself, abandoned himself into everything, even the male voice choir. <laughs> <laughs> well, gradually God sort of chopped off the extraneous things and narrowed it down to what he was good at. And I think that so often um, happens to us too. I remember uh, early on at Seaford, because I was Terry's wife, uh, we, we had some particular, um, I think we had a missionary evening and there was a supper and I was supposed to organise this thing. And um, because I was Terry's wife, it was taken for granted I would do it. Well, I made an awful mess of it. And yet there's a lady in the congregation who's superb at things like that. And I never made that mistake again. I said, it's yours <laughs> and you're welcome to it. It's, it's not my thing. Um, so look, look for where the gifting is in the congregation. <laughs> Delegate everything as much as you can. And uh, let's just um, remember that it's before God, not... Uh, before other people's expectations that we have to work. I think um, that's probably enough to go on for the moment. Um, I don't want to take the time from Margaret and from Sandy, so I'll hand over to you, Sandy. I mean, Margaret. Thank you. Um, some of the things that I want to share very much um, what you were sharing with Wendy. I don't know whether it would be worth just following that on or, or not. Fight it out between you. <laughs> <laughs> What I want to say, um, I think, is more principles than just the pictures. That's yeah. obviously that very yeah. Right. Um, oh, you better swap. Hot seat. Hot seat. if I just uh, introduce myself. Um, I'm Sandy Rogers and my husband is Phil Rogers and um, we, well he's the leading elder at South Lee Christian Church in, in South London. Um, we grew up together in the church, it was a Baptist church then and um, I knew Phil from when he, we were children and um, so I knew that God had put a call on Phil's life um, I knew that that would eventually mean full-time Christian work, um, probably a minister's wife, <laughs> and um, well, gradually we got to um, we got to know one another. And then when he proposed to me, well, I'm actually I'm not sure whether he actually did propose to me, but the first thing he said to me, <laughs> the first thing he said to me was, "Was I willing to be a pastor's wife?" And I said, "Oh yes." thinking I knew what I was letting myself in for, um, but I don't know if I did really. <laughs> um, so we've been married, I suppose, about two years, and we had one little boy before Phil eventually um, went full-time. Um, he was teaching previously, he was teaching uh, maths and computing, and uh, so it's quite... Um, I found it was a different lifestyle. I, th I think I had some sort of romantic ideas of what a pastor's wife was going to be. Um, um, I thought it would be lovely him sort of perhaps being around a bit more. And I didn't, you know, but I hadn't had anybody that I looked to to see the way they did it. 
and uh, so I suppose we were very green when we we went into to the ministry. Um, before, um, when he was teaching, he would come home and we would talk a lot about his, te his teaching and the people and the boys that he taught. And it was interesting. But I found I really missed that because what happened is that the church becomes your whole life, night and day. And, um, and he was out a lot. Every evening he was out. And, you know, with having young children, you, I found I was spending quite a lot of time on my own, not being able to get to meetings. I can see some shaking of heads here. <laughs> um, not being able to get to meetings. Um, and beginning, I felt, to feel out of what was happening in the church. Um, I thought, well, gosh, you know, we've been called to this ministry. We've been called to this together. But here am I at home, um, looking after the children, looking after my husband, making sure he's got his dinner at half past five or six o'clock before he has to go out again in the evening. And, um, and then I would go to a meeting in the morning, on a Sunday morning, and I'd see all these other women getting up, giving these fantastic prophecies, you know, this sort of thing, and beginning to feel, well, who am I? What am I? Um, here am I, an elder's wife. <laughs> um, and we talked a lot. I mean, Phil's a very good communicator. I, you know, I really bless God for that. And he shared a lot with me, and he kept me in touch, touch with things. But I felt inside I wasn't really being what I should be doing. I suppose uh, growing up in the Baptist church and what Wendy was saying about um, what the old sort of traditions were and what was expected of a, a minister's wife and I thought well I'm not doing that so I was feeling I was putting pressure on myself to be something that that I wasn't and I was also feeling that people were wanting me to be something else and I wasn't meeting their expectations of me. So what with the domestic situation and also with these whole sort of expectations, um, I began to feel quite down. Um, I realise now I think a lot of it was a lively enemy to keep me down. Um, and I, I suppose I wasn't really speaking at the time, I wasn't speaking God's truth to myself. Um, so I, anyway, I began to seek God about what um, he, was, he was wanting to, um, wanting to say through all this. Um, and then one day, um, I, I think I was with Phil and we were, we were talking about it, and God showed me a picture and also gave me a verse. And um, there was a, a couple of things that I felt God speak to me specifically about that I'd like to really share with you this morning. Um, it's a bit um, of a visual aid, really, which I've got with me. But I'd just like to read um, a few verses from Psalm 139, which God gave me. And it's 13 to 16. For thou didst fill my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my, my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my, know, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee. When I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were none of them. And God said to me, 
you're one of my special creations and that I was unique, I was distinctive. And when I was in my mother's womb, he was knitting me together. He was making me. He was what I was going to look like, my character, my personality, the gifts. He knew what they, were, they would be because he'd written them all down in his book. And God gave me this picture. And he said, this is you with your differences. <laughs> Nothing like me. It might have my nose, but I don't think it's got anything else. <laughs> um, but he said, this is you and all that I've made you to be. I've made you different from anybody else. And he's made you different from that person that you're sitting next to this morning. And he's given you different gifts and abilities. And he said, at the same time, I was making somebody else with his different gifts and his different abilities. And he knew that that would be my husband. And he knew, right from the foundation of the world, in his book, he'd written it all down, that he was going to bring us together. And we were going to fit. Well, it should fit. <laughs> but we would fit. And it would be a perfect fit. And those gifts that he'd given me, and those gifts that he'd given Phil, were going to come together, and we were going to make up something that God had and he'd not own I, I, I knew as I said I knew God's call on Phil's life and I, I suppose I felt because of that I was going to be an elder's wife pastor's wife um, I didn't really give it much thought but I just felt that there was I think Wendy's touched on this a bit this morning that there's some of you this morning that you didn't have that and you feel perhaps today a bit shocked the thought, or the thing that you're sitting here this morning, feeling, well, I never, ever thought that I would be in this position. But I felt God say, wanted to say to you, that he knew from the foundation of the world, when you were in your mother's womb, and he was knitting you together, and making you, you, different from anybody else, that you were going to meet that man who was going to be a leader, and that... He had chosen you. He had chosen me. He trusted in us. He put, he's put things within us. And he has called us together to lead that body of, body of Christ. And with that, he has equipped us. And I felt the Lord say to me, what I want you to do, I want you to seek me. Not look at other women and look at them and think what they have. But I want you to seek me and to enjoy me and to grow in me and all those things that I've put within you. And as you wait on me and pray, you'll find those things that you're, you're good at. You'll find that you will see what they are and that you will grow in those. And as your husband grows in his ministry, then together you will you'll go together. And one, just as I need Phil, Phil needs me. And there are things that I have that he needs. And, I mean, often he said to me, gosh, I'm so glad that you see it like that. Or I'm so glad that that's your reaction to that. Or, you know, in, in personality, characters, things that we are good at. And I know that I look at him and I thank God for, for him. 
and the times when I felt really down and he's been able to come and, and, and help me um, because it's an area that he's, he's, he's good at. And I remember once Terry, um, we went to see Terry about something and um, we'd both gone down on the same, something had happened in the church and we'd both reacted in the same way. And he said to us very wisely and we've never forgotten it, that when things like that, one of you needs to seek God and to stay up so that you can help the other one and bring them to a place of, of, of positive, being positive. And we've never ever forgotten that. And there was a, a particular time when um, Phil came home from a meeting feeling very down and something had happened. And I thought, Lord, I could go down. I could begin to react. I could get really cross with what that person said. And then I remembered what Terry had said and I thought, no, what he needs now is for me to come alongside him and to pray for him, and, which we did. And, and I mean, God gave, gave me a word. And it was great, you know, we, we got through it. And we, we need one another. And as Wendy said, he's, um, you're you and you're nobody else. God has made you distinctive and unique. And our husbands haven't married us for anybody else. He's married us for us. And, um, and God knows that, and he, he's put within us those things that complement us. Um, another thing that I felt, well, I think I had a little bit of a problem was, was inferiority. And um, I looked at other women, and I felt, gosh, they are much better at this than I am. Um, and I felt, as God was speaking to me, this, I, I, I felt the Lord say, um, don't look at other people, don't compare yourself with other women, because you're you, and you're different, very different, and the diff different, different gifts and abilities that I've given you, and we've been made helpmeets for our husbands, and he needs those gifts, as I said. Um, when we can look at that person who prophesies a lot, we can look at that person who prays for somebody, for healing, for deliverance, and you see the power of God come upon that person, and you think, gosh, I ought to be doing that. I'm an elder's wife. I ought to be the one that's prophesying. I ought to be the one standing up there, giving that word. And we can put ourselves under pressure and what I felt the Lord say to me was, we are all different. We make up the body of Christ and God has given us all different gifts and different abilities. And we know those things that we're good at. And he said to me, just seek me and do those things that you can do well. Excel in those things. And what you see other women doing, encourage them in it. When they've given a prophecy, Go up to them and say, you really blessed me this morning, that was really good. Or you've seen somebody pray for somebody and, they, and they've been blessed. Go to them, encourage them and say, that, that is really, really good. I, I'm really learning from you, from the way in which you're praying for that person. And, and, and as Wendy said, encourage other people into things. If you don't want to do it, sometimes I feel I, I don't really want to get involved. I'm involved 
too much. And you often think, well, I ought to do it. You know, it's my job. They expect me to do it. But there are probably 50, 60 other women that are there. And we, could, and we know that they have a gift and ability in that area. And we can go to them and say, look, there's this person that's in need. Will you go and pray for them? And that, that really encourages them. And it builds them up. And they feel, gosh, they've got confidence in me. We haven't always got to be doing those things that we, we see there is a need for. And um, we've got two very good mother and toddler groups going, or three actually. Actually, Rose started it when uh, she was at, at Southley. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, gosh, you know, perhaps I ought to be involved in this. You know, perhaps they expect me to be involved. But I thought, well, no. You know, my children are older. There are other things now that God wants me to do. I'm in a different phase now of life and I can encourage them, I can pray for them and I can ask them how it's going on and I can be blessed when non-Christians go into that but I haven't, don't feel it's got to revolve, involve me and revolve around me all the time and um, you know I felt that that was a really something that God really, really showed me. I, I feel, I mean in a sense I feel privileged this morning that Wendy has asked me to share some testimony. I mean, I feel that, in a sense, we're all learning together um, in this. And, you know, I feel privileged to be able to share because I know God has said these two things to me and I hope that they will encourage you to seek God for what he's made you and those things that he's put within you because then you can, can grow in that. You can grow with your husband in his ministry. You can, you can be together in that. And, um, and then you find, as you're, you're being, being what you are, you'll find, as I found, that you can give in the body, relaxed and at peace, not feeling pressure. Um, and it will be drawn out of you. You won't have to strive for it. It will be drawn out of you. Um, but, you know, I'd just like to sort of say, in closing, that I also feel privileged today to be in God's kingdom. I feel privileged to be chosen to be uh, a wife uh, to Phil. I thank God for him. I thank God for his ministry. And I want to enhance that. And I believe God has given everything to us that we, we can do that for our husbands as we, as we seek God. I feel privileged to be working alongside Terry and Wendy and all of you. And I feel God's got so much for us today and that um, we... He's given us responsibility to lead the body of Christ where we are and he's for us, he's confident in us and so if, if God is for us and confident in us then we can be, be confident in that. Okay, well my name's Margaret Cope, some of you know me anyway, from Haywards Heath. Um, I'm the original non-elders wife material. <laughs> uh, my husband and I married very young. I was 20 and he was just 21. And he was a builder. He loved God a whole lot more than I did. I was uh, a fire insurance Christian. Do you know what that is? Uh, you ask God to save you so you don't go to hell, <laughs> but you don't want anything else. I was a very fearful person. And I found a lot of security in my husband. I think I loved him for that reason, because he was a secure person and I was hounded by all sorts of fears and I would no more have stood up and talked to a room full of people than fly to the moon. 
So God's done ever such a lot of good things for me. Uh, And I suppose basically what I want to say to you this morning is receive the grace of God. It's the answer to everything. (laughs) However, as has already been said, there is no uh, British standard elder's wife, (laughs) which is a good thing, as Wendy has said. However, your life is observed, which you will already have noticed. (laughs) That's inevitable. You can't get away from it. Um, It's not altogether a bad thing, though. There's one aspect of it that you think... I wish I wasn't observed. I hate this um, being looked at all the time. Why can't I be like everybody else normal? But if you look at it from the other point of view, it's an awfully good discipline from God to keep you up to scratch, isn't it? People are looking at your life. I've often thanked God for the fact that other people are observing how I behave because it's brought discipline into my life. Perhaps I need it more than you do. I've put down here, we all ultimately put into other people's lives what is in our own hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It doesn't necessarily have to be what we say. Actually, it can be our attitudes, our silences actually often convey our feelings about things. And people will pick up all those attitudes Um, our prejudices, our presuppositions. So it seems then that what we need to do in this spotlit position in the church is not concentrate on what we do or the gifts that we might have, but what's in our heart so that we can minister out of our hearts the things that God's put in there. I've tried to simplify it down a bit because there are millions of things, obviously, <laughs> you can all think of. I've put, we need to be believers and receivers. I think probably that holds most things within that compass. They're intertwined, the two, believing and receiving from God, inseparable. To be believers of God, this is, of course, we need to know the scriptures. And we must choose, I think, by an act of will to believe what the scripture says that's been mentioned before when Sandy said about God's source when we were still unformed and chose us to be what we should be in his sight. We must believe that, is what Sandy said. I would like to uh, read a few scriptures at this point just to illustrate what I want to say. Um, John 6, 28, if I've written the right reference down, which I sometimes don't, <laughs> a bit disconcerting. Um, right, the people that were following Jesus came to him and they said, what was, must we do to do the works God requires? Which is what we all want to know, isn't it? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. John 7, 37. You've got Bibles. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. Now that is truth, ladies, and, and that's truth that I often remind myself about. However I feel, Jesus has said, if I come to him and drink, I shall have streams of living water for other people available and flowing. That's an illustration, um, a simple illustration out of my life of being a believer. We also need to be receivers. I think I would encourage you uh, to do a Bible study on grace. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the one single word, I think, that encapsulates everything we need. And anybody, not just elders' wives, the whole bang shoot, everybody. Grace and grace and grace. And the longer you go on, I think the more you understand how it's grace alone that makes us stand. Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Must be receivers of the abundance of grace every day. Yes, you do that every morning. Come to the Lord and thank him and say, Lord, I receive your abundant grace for today. Um, I'd, I'd really love to be able to say what that feels like. It doesn't feel like anything in my experience, saying I receive it. You just say it, and then you believe that it's happened, and then it does. It's not very clear. It's not explicable in words, but I guess you know how to do it anyway. Um, Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul says, we put no confidence in the flesh. That's our normal position. Everybody's spoken about making these terrific blunders. And I'm no exception. As Marcia can tell you, she's uh, alongside me as another elder's wife at Hayward Heath. And I make the most awful mistakes. So I know full well not to put confidence in the flesh. And I think God lets us do it so that we don't put confidence in the flesh so that we can receive the abundance of grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think that applies to all of us, too. It's by the grace of God that we are his vessels, with those living waters as required to meet the needs of others. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So if you're all feeling at sixes and sevens and as though you can't quite get the hang of how to do it, you absolutely qualify for God's power to be made perfect. Don't ask me how it happens because you think it would be the other way around. When you felt confident, you think somehow God's power would be apparent. But it's not like that. So get used to it. Get used to feeling... Um, at a loss and not knowing what to do and weak and helpless because there isn't any other position to be in 
That's how you feel emotionally, I think, but in the spirit, you know you're receiving the grace of God. 2 Timothy 2.1 You then, my son, be strong in the power that is in Christ Jesus. Not in what you have in yourself, but keep looking to Jesus. And I would encourage you to go through every scripture you can find about the grace of God and ask the Holy Spirit to feed it into your heart so that whenever you're talking with anybody, it's the grace of God that comes out. So you can direct everyone into receiving that provision from God. Believing and receiving. I'd like to just do a brief application of this. Um, I think it's important for us to do what we hear. So I, I want to pray for you. It says in the scripture that the prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. And I would like to pray for all of you and myself that we will receive God's grace in the measure that we need it, in the measure of faith that each one of us requires. And I believe that as I pray it will happen because God says so. Um, would you like to stand up? I like praying standing up. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I want to pray for you. I want to read this scripture um, from Ephesians that Paul prayed for people. Now let God put this into your hearts, and I will too, because <laughs> I need it more than any of you, I guess. And believe that you're receiving what Paul prayed. Mighty prayer, it's the truth of God. Thank you, Father. We come to your throne of grace now, Father, and we ask for that grace to help in time of need, as you've encouraged us to do. Lord, open our hearts to receive grace and truth from you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with all power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. he's been appointed as an elder it says so in scripture God says I'll give some shepherds after my own heart 
So if you haven't already done this, and that sounds obvious, but sometimes people don't, ask him to tell you in clear terms what's his heart for the church, what God said to him that he must seek to achieve amongst this company of people. What, what are his desires, um, his ambitions to see develop amongst the company of people that you're in. Consider the prophetic words that God's spoken about the church and get them in your mind and your thinking. And as already has been said, we need to understand it's our role to complement our husbands in achieving this God-given goal and to fulfill what he's heard from God. And go for it wholeheartedly, ladies, not for your husband's sake, but for Jesus' sake. Because hmm? I think we can get um, distracted a bit from a large goal, which is pleasing Jesus, into sort of overprotecting our husbands um, and his ministry and getting ever so sensitive if he's criticised and things. But we do everything for Jesus' sake because all things are for him, <coughs> says in the scripture. I found it ever so helpful to have a time each week to pray with David for the church, not on problems, because I think that's another thing. We tend to say, oh God, you know, when things go wrong. But to pray into the areas that are flourishing and are strong, because that's where the Spirit of God is at work, and we need to add our faith-filled prayers to those areas. I think then you see the church develop more. We need to put our greatest energies into where God is working in power. And to pray for the ongoing encouragement and development of the church as a body of believers, to see strength in the church. I've found that as I've done this week by week with David, um, somehow subtly uh, it, it gets rid of that tug-of-war thing between them taking all his time and the family not getting enough um, because you're in it together. Uh, you've got the same heart to see the church progress and there's not that sort of temptation to think we ought to give us more of his time. Um, it's all God's time somehow. Does that sound clear? Hmm. Ah, yes. <laughs> this may not apply to you, but it's applied ever so much to me in the past. Resolve not to consider events from a negative point of view. Um, me, I've been a great criticizer, incredibly negative, very destructive in what I've said at times when things have gone wrong. Um, and because my husband's a fairly easygoing and doesn't plunge into the depths of despair type of person, I didn't realise the added pressure I was putting on him. I thought I was just expressing my feelings um, until God corrected me. <laughs> and he said, you, you haven't got any right to, to add to what he's already carrying. He does feel it. Um, you must turn, um, change and turn your way of uh, considering things uh, to the positive aspect we do have an awful lot of influence on our husbands by the way we approach problems. I know that. I've, I've discovered that to be true. That you can encourage or discourage 
by whether you see a problem in a faith-filled light or in depressed light. Uh, yes, what is likely to happen if, it is, if you're the same as me is that through the circumstances of life with your husband as elder, you will suddenly begin to discover you don't have quite the same heart for the church that Jesus does. <laughs> um, and you can get awfully cross and wish they go away or something at times. You'll also, possibly, you may find that whereas you thought your motives were beautifully pure and clear, actually there's a fair deposit of personal ambition or ambition for your husband in there. I do hope you're not totally different to me because I'm exposing myself here. <laughs> I guess you're not that different. God will do that. You will find your heart motives will be exposed by circumstances, and it may be by other people's wrongdoings, um, but it exposes what's in your heart, and that's God's doing, because he's still working on us, you see. He wants us to be right, as well as he wants us to help them to be right. So when you discover um, things that dismay you in your own heart that you thought weren't there, don't shrink back. God always knew they were there and he intends to deal with it. And you can receive grace <laughs> again. You can receive grace to be changed, even though emotionally you may think, I can never let go of this thing. It's too important to me. You can by an act of will lay something at God's feet and say, your will, not mine, be done. And he gives grace that that happens. He really does. I haven't done everything yet. <laughs> You'll be glad to know. Um, there's still things that I uh, struggle with. But personal ambition and ambition for my husband is one thing that he has dealt with in me. And it took him several years to do that. Um, I believe it's dealt with because I'm scared to go back to those awful feelings that I used to have. Um, in conclusion, you'll be glad to hear. Um, what is our ultimate goal in all that we do? I feel we can get to consider that we're helping our husband build the church or form the church. Uh, Jesus builds his church. We're just used by him. Uh, I'll read you what I think is our ultimate goal, shall I? <laughs> um, what was it? Philippians 3, I think. Well, Philippians something. I'll find it in a minute. Yes, Philippians 3, um, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And this is the bit. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, 
becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's our ultimate goal. That's what we're all going for, male and female alike. And that's what we want to bring everyone in the churches into, that knowing of Christ, that intimacy with him. That's what it's all about. He'll build the church. He'll take care of the circumstances. If we make that our goal, to know him, after all, that's eternal life, isn't it? To know the Father and the Son.